This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits, and I'm joined by EPFR's economist Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming week. Cam, good morning. The big question here is, do you believe the Federal Reserve? (laughs) I'm skeptical, though I'm aware that uh, actually sort of (laughs) standing up with my baseball bat will probably just get me trampled. Um, But that is... uh, that is definitely uh, an issue and one that's sort of been reflected in our, our fund flows data for a while now, um, cropped up again this this latest week. Um, clearly, uh, it, both uh, equity and fixed income investors believe the Fed enough to um, consistently put money into U.S. equity and bond funds. Uh, flows to U.S. bond funds have really kind of bounced back from the the March hiccup when 10-year Treasury yields spiked. Uh, but as the same, at the same time, the amounts uh, going into uh, inflation-protected bond funds and bank loan funds um, uh, not only remain steady, but you know the trend seems to be cautiously upward. So uh, it's definitely uh, you know, people are not willing to fight the Fed, but there's certainly uh, uh, laying in a little ammunition uh, should it become necessary. So we saw uh, a few trends continue this past week. Money coming into U.S. equities, money coming into a few of the sector fund groups. Uh, you mentioned inflation-protected ESG funds, once again resuming uh to uh, continuing to attract assets. What sticks out most from last week and and those fund groups that did attract new money? I think I was most struck by the the, the concentration of flows, flows that weren't sort of going to insure against the possibility of higher inflation, Uh, the concentration on the big uh, and, and growing markets. So, um, flows into UK equity funds, uh, where where you know the world's fifth largest economy has just been hugely re-rated thanks to the success of its vaccination program. Flows into UK equity funds at a one-year high. Um, China equity funds and to slightly lesser degree China bond funds were certainly kind of the leading point of light uh, within their broader EM equity and EM. Uh, bond fund groups. Um, and behind China, there really wasn't a lot to, to shout about in the EM space. Uh, and then, you know, U.S. equity and bond funds, again, solid but uh, consistent flows. Um, you know, people certainly seem to have made their mind up that they should ride the stronger growth stories for a while. Let's stick with EM for a moment. On the other end from China, I know you've been talking about Brazil recently. What What's the risk that investors see with Brazil to, to cause some of this uncertainty in outflows? 
Right. Well, it's certainly true that you would, uh, you know, even with Brazil's rackety track record, expected it uh, to be doing better and funds dedicated to it seeing more interest than we are, uh, given the clear assumption that there's going to be a sharp increase in demand for raw materials. Uh, as the global economy bounces back. Um, but, you know, it's got two big strikes against it at the moment. One is the well-known one, which is that uh, its handling of the uh, COVID pandemic has, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, disastrous is about the most gentle description that uh, I've seen recently. Uh, and there's a, certainly a feeling that uh, the, the, the pandemic has gone so out of hand that, uh it's going to cripple the, their domestic economy through much of this year. Uh, and equally important, and perhaps in some ways more important for mutual fund investors, is that uh, uh, it's swallowed up the last of uh, President Air Bolsonaro's political capital. Uh, and while uh, his politics certainly rubbed many people the wrong way, he did come into office as a economic reformer and to some degree delivered on that. So uh, as long as there was some hope he would um, pursue further economic reforms, uh, people were surprisingly willing to look past Brazil's pandemic story. But uh, I think people now feel a critical point has uh, uh, been passed and that, uh, you know, he really has no chance of doing anything that's sort of uh, <laughs> uh, controversial and will sort of cause the electorate pain. Another market that we normally talk about uh, in, in these times is Russia. What are we seeing with that, with those funds in particular? Uh, a, a similar dynamic, which is that, um, you know, it's a point in the cycle where you would expect to be talking the, about them more and in a more positive light. I mean, oil prices have sort of seemed to be f pretty solidly camped now, about $60 a barrel. Um, prices for most of the key industrial metals are, are much higher than they were a year ago. Um, in Russia's case, however, there you know there, there's a sense, <laughs> backed by an increasing mountain of evidence, that uh, uh, you know any bet you make on Russia could be derailed in a minute by some new piece of adventurism. Uh, and obviously, the case in point at the moment is the demonstration of Russian troops along the border with Ukraine. Um, so. I, you know, it's less that Russia doesn't ha have its classic story there. It's that uh, the risk at the moment of something happening to sort of take people who build a position there off at the knees uh, is high enough that even in this highly liquid global environment, people are paying attention. So let's pivot to sector funds. Obviously, a, uh, a hot topic as of late. Um, are you seeing continued strength with those industrial and infrastructure sector funds? Yes, the two eyes are uh, eyes have it at the moment uh, uh, for intertwined reasons. Um, you know, the, uh, the the growth projections now uh, for the U.S. and Europe, uh, parts of Europe and and China, uh, certainly suggest uh, that factories, <laughs> as well as U.S. monetary policy, will be running hot in the next six months. Um, not only is the, is the there the immediate increased demand to deal with. 
Um, but um, understandably, uh, given the uncertainty of COVID in a lot of markets and, and areas, inventories have been run down to historically low levels. So there's not only meeting immediate demand, but there's also a sort of a restocking element to it. Um, and, and, and manufacturing uh, data from most of the major markets recently has surprised on the upside, including Europe. Um, and, uh, you know, the first of the sort of major industrial bellwethers to report first quarter earnings, Alcoa, uh, certainly seemed to confirm the narrative that, uh, you know, we're already at takeoff point and that, uh, uh, a lot of the projections, certainly for the remainder of the year for industrials of, of uh, almost too much wind in their sails uh, are likely to be realized. Uh, infrastructure, you, you, you know, I hesitate to use that sloppy phrase, no brainer, but with the, uh, the stimulus already in the pipeline uh, here and, and in Japan and China, uh, and with uh, President Biden pursuing another $2 billion just for that end, um, uh, it doesn't take a genius to think that it would be a good idea to position themselves uh, for for a bit of a liftoff in that sector over the next few years. So if we're expecting uh, markets to see a strong recovery uh, and we're expecting manu- or seeing manufacturing come out of the gates hot here, including in Europe, why are we seeing uh, perhaps Europe fall a little behind? Well, manufacturing in Europe uh, is very much geared to exports, so uh, it can take upward without that necessarily being a reflection of the health of the domestic economy. Um, and and you know Europe is currently wrestling with third and even fourth waves of the pandemic, uh, which are likely to hold back by probably another quarter the start of their rebound. Um, yeah, and, and extending uh, the sort of underlying damage, what, what uh, people are now calling the economic scarring uh, that occurs when you, you suspend or crimp uh, economic activity for long uh, periods of time. Um, their stimulus measures, while you know, people got very excited last year when they finally pulled together and, uh, and agreed on a uh, 750 billion um, rescue fund. Uh, it's certainly in the light of what other major markets have been throwing at this particular problem, it's not very much. Uh, it's spread out over three or four years uh, and is currently under challenge. Uh, a group of uh, you know, German uh, academics and business people have taken yet another case to Germany's constitutional court, and Germany's constitutional court has sort of said, you know, hold on while we look into this. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot of backfiring noises coming out of the European engine right at the moment. While well, the UK potentially speeds up coming out of yep. a, a recent yep. acrimonious uh, breakup. So. Right. 
So, Kim, what are you and the team going to be looking at over the next week in the research? Well, um, A, it's going to be fairly quantitative in nature, and B, we'll have our director of quant research, Syed Baranian, with us next week to sort of explain. But uh, uh, he especially will be sort of looking into uh, two main areas this week. Um, one is uh, taking a closer look at how um, EPFR's data, and especially sector data, lines up with various other data sets tracking short interest in the market. Um, you know, we uh, you know, are aware that there are a number of signals there. We're also aware we, uh, that there's some of them we may not have really teased out. Uh, and, he and he and the quant team are also going to be um, and taking a closer look at whether some of our data sets, especially our uh, FX allocations data set, uh, have some kind of, uh, you know, shed some kind of light on balance of payments trends. Uh, you know, if they do, that will be a, a very powerful market signal. Um, but we're not making any promises just yet. Well, looking forward to having Syed on next week. Yes, yes. Always good to give our audience a little variety. Great. Thanks, Cam. Have a great week. Cheers. You too. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast. 